0: Moving this Christmas week, we're in a series called Noel, He is Born. We're celebrating the life of Christ, that He came. And this life in Christ is made possible because the greatest, most loving being in the cosmos created us for life in Him. And so we celebrate that He is born. A couple weeks ago, we began this series, and we looked specifically at it, that He's called us, that God came from the, the, tri, the Trinity, this triune fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit of perfect love, and they created us to join in that fellowship of love with them. And then last week we looked at the reality that, that Christ is human, that he, he laid down his divine privileges when he came. It wasn't just uh, a God-man that was pretending to be human or pretending to be God, but fully God and fully human, he came and lived his life among us. And then what we're going to be looking at today, then, as we move towards celebrating Christmas of Emmanuel, God with us, is if, if Jesus really was fully human, if he really did lay down those divine privileges, if he really is fully God and fully man, and now he, he came among us fully human, what impact does that have upon our life? Yes, salvation, but is, it, is there more than that? Is there more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card? Is there more than just one day we go to heaven in some distant place? And that's what we want to talk about today in this week of Christmas is the significance of not just Jesus' birth, but of his humanity and his life. Again, Jesus didn't come as a baby just so we could sing some cool songs about him at Christmas. He didn't come so we could have cozy fireside uh, hot chocolates and a nice warm-hearted season of life that we could feel good and warm and cozy. That's not why he came. And he didn't come just so we could get a a ticket to heaven when we die. So, So why did Jesus come? Well, he tells us many, many times in Scripture in his own words. And so I want to look at a few of those as we begin. He says in Luke 19, 10, Jesus says that he came for the Son of Man to came to seek and to save the lost. How many of us have been lost? He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve Not just to be served and to give his life as ransom. He came to show us what a life of service looks like as well. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He came so that we could have eternal life in him. And next, John 10.10, the one I repeat so frequently. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the full, or have life in abundance. So over and over, Jesus tells us that he comes to bring eternal life. Not just then and there, but here and now. Jesus preached one primary message when he was alive. It's the, pre- the message was of the kingdom of God. And not just that one day when we die that that kingdom would start, but that when he came, it came with him, his life, this eternal kind of life Freedom from sin and a life with Christ beco- begins when Christ comes. And so as we celebrate Christmas, it's such an incredible opportunity for us again to not lose sight of what this eternal life looks like that Christ has called us to. Because Jesus came that we could have life. So I want to look at that life for a minute. And we looked at this last week, John seventeen three. It says... And this is eternal life. This is where Jesus defines what eternal life is. And he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus says, referring to the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, me, whom you have sent. So at Christmas time, we celebrate that Christ came to gave, give us his life. A life that is centered on knowing God the Father and in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, participating in Jesus' life, participating in Jesus' mission, experiencing life in Him. So the birth of Christ is so beautiful. And yet it's often boiled down to the incredible gift of salvation, which is beautiful, that God offered us in His Son, and it is that, but it's so much more than just salvation. Salvation. It's also this invitation to this eternal kind of life that he calls us to. To walk with our triune God here and now and for all of eternity. To participate in his life and his mission to live and love increasingly like Jesus. In fact, this is the very reason so many people don't like to, to, to think much about Jesus' humanity. Because the reality is, if, if Jesus was and is truly human... That would mean that there's some kind of additional expectation placed upon the things that he says of us to actually become like him. And that can be a bit scary for some Christians because it's so much easier at Christmas time and throughout the rest just to, you know, worship Jesus. Wow, you were amazing. Thank you for all that you did and just said, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the gifts. But if Jesus was truly human and laid down his divine privileges, it means everything he said about becoming like him, he actually meant. And that can be a little scary. In fact, that's what Paul was addressing in the passage we looked at last week. I want to highlight again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus, or Paul said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And now he's going to describe this attitude. That Jesus, though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, or he emptied himself. NIV says he made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. So we read that oftentimes and we just want to sit back and worship. And there's many worship songs sung about that passage. But Paul, again, didn't put this here just so we could sing worship songs. Or just so we could sit back and say, wow, God, what you did is amazing. He put it there as he starts in verse 5. He puts it there because Paul says this is the example of Jesus that we are to follow. Yes, we must worship Jesus. But it can't stop at worshiping from a distance. We are to actually live in love like him, he says. Jesus' humanity is not just some cool theological doctrine that we get to celebrate once a year at Christmas. But Jesus becoming human just like us, he he reveals himself to us, he he redeems us, and he shows us the kind of life that he created us for. Amen? So Christmas is not only about celebrating all that Jesus did and his birth, and saying, you know, thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. But Christmas is also the time where we come back and we say, our lives must increasingly become a thank you letter to him and how we live our lives according to him. Jesus became human to redeem us and restore us and to show the life he intended us to live. Again, and this is why people often downplay his humanity, because it's easiest just to keep it in his court. But what Christmas shows us with the birth of Christ is it's not just about worship. It's a reciprocal life now that we get to increasingly live in love like him. It's why sometimes we actually want Jesus to have a halo, if you heard last week and saw the photos of, you know, the emanating light always coming from Jesus in any pictures of nativity. It's why that makes us kind of feel better about it when Jesus has the halo, as we talked about last week. If, because if Jesus is a superhero, if, if Jesus has superpowers, it means I'm off the hook, right? Because I'm not God. I can't do what he did. We can use the phrase, I'm only human. And so therefore, well, let God be God. I can't walk on water. I can't raise the dead. And so we say, Jesus was God. That's how he did all those things. I'm only human, we often tell ourselves. And that's why I live life the way I do. Many Christians grow up, in fact, with the understanding that it's our humanity that is, in fact, our problem. That our flesh is what prevents us from living the life God asks us. We often see our humanity simply as temporary. In fact, many believe that when Jesus returns, we're going to leave our humanity somehow behind in the clouds and and go up to heaven as some disembodied souls. We often see our humanity as temporary. And that God only created these disembodied souls. Our humanity is just a, a container for the soul, which is the part that matters. problem is that doesn't line up with Scripture. This idea that God only came to save a soul is not found in Scripture. God came to save people. You and me. Embodied people. Not believing in Jesus' full humanity kind of takes the pressure off. And we can talk all the things that Jesus does and and, and chalk all of it up to just all the teachings he does about you know living and loving like him and following him we can just say ah that's just you know exaggeration he calls us to be his apprentice but it's just an idea we can't actually do the stuff he did it's easier to stay in that capacity i mean after all i'm only human how can i do the things the son of god can do but what if our humanity is not a weakness what if it's not temporal What if God actually created us in our humanity, in his image, and declares it very good and extends for it to last on for eternity? His words, not mine, by the way. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. We were created in his image. Verse 31, he says, And God looked over all that he had made and he said that it was very good. After God creates humanity, he declares it very good. Therefore, Jesus comes and he shows us what God intended for humanity a life completely dependent upon the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't come only so he could die on a cross and forgive us our sins. He also came to show us what it means to live, not just show us what it means for us to die. He demonstrated what it means to, by by eternal life, as we talked about last week, a, a life lived to the full, filled with abundance, both here and now, and for all of eternity. And so I want to look a little bit at how Jesus describes the life that he lived. So, Beginning in John chapter five, verse nineteen, Jesus heals a crippled man, and as a result, the Pharisees try to kill him because he said that he was the son of his father, and that he did it on a Sabbath day. And look at what happens. Jesus says in five nineteen, "I tell you the truth, the son being himself can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the son, the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing." So Jesus is saying that he can literally do nothing on his own. He says. And why can he do nothing? Because he's fully human. He's laid down his divine privileges, as we've talked about. So how does he do anything? He says he just does what he sees the Father doing. He watches the Father and does those things. He follows the Father's direction in everything when he was here, from healing a man on the Sabbath to raising the dead to walking on water to hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. Everything he does, he does because the Father shows him what to do. He follows the Father's example. A couple chapters later in John chapter 8, verse 26, Jesus says, "He being God who sent me, Jesus, is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him is what I tell the world. Then two verses later, he says, "I do nothing on my own." Jesus saying this, "I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. I do nothing on my own. I only do say the things the Father has taught me. Here it is 29, "The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone." for I always do what pleases him. So again, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, only do what the Father tells me to. And notice he says here, I am not alone. The Father is with me. Now there's many more examples of this, but Jesus makes it abundantly clear that all his wisdom, even all his actions and all that he does, it's not of his own will. It's not of his own, but it is all of him following the Father. Jesus is completely dependent upon the Father. I've said this many times, but Jesus is the most dependent human being who's ever lived in the face of the earth. He is the most dependent human being to ever live, to ever walk the face of this earth. And while independence is one of America's greatest values and one of the things we seem to prefer and choose more than anything else, it is not a value of Scripture. Independence is not what's promoted The process of discipleship, of being an apprentice to Christ, is learning to become increasingly dependent upon God, not ourselves. That is the way of Jesus. So Jesus lived a life fully dependent upon the Father. Even the miracles and the works that he did, he says, are not his own. In fact, John chapter 10, the Jews are trying to kill him, and he tells them that he and the Father are one, and that he gives them eternal life. And notice what Jesus says to them in John chapter 10. It says, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Again, they've done this many times. But Jesus says to them, check this out. I have shown you, I have shown you many good works. Where'd they come? From the Father. For which of these do you stone me? What is Jesus saying here? Again, he's emphasizing that the works he does, they're not his. He's not doing any of it. Where does the work come from? They all come from the Father. None of this is from me, Jesus says. I can do nothing on my own. It is all from the Father. So Jesus is the most dependent human being who's ever lived. Everything he did was dependent upon his Father through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he could have accessed all his divine privileges and knowledge, but he chose not to. As we talked about last week, he had the divine privileges faucet turned off while he was here on earth. Now, all right, some may say that sounds great, but if if Jesus was human like us, then how did he know the Father's will? How does he walk on water? How did he raise the dead? How did he love perfectly in those ways? How did he maintain such a dependency upon God if he was on his own? And Jesus' response would be because I wasn't on my own. I was never alone. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, was with me the entire time. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit made all of the Father available to him at all times. And the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead and prophesy what is to come. But the same Holy Spirit also empowered Jesus to love the unlovable, to be patient when it seemed impossible, to forgive those who were nailing him to the cross to relax while having a meal with tax collectors and sinners and to be the kind of person who children ran to rather than away from. All that Jesus did, he did because the Father was with him through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, so what does that look like then for Jesus to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Well, we saw this. We looked briefly at this in the book of Acts last week, but Acts 10.38, I want to read it again. Peter says, he's telling the story, and he says of how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he, being Jesus, went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, this is kind of a preview of our next series. We're heading in, in a couple weeks into the book of Acts for three or six months. We'll see how long it goes. Um, who knows? Uh, until people get too bored of it, we'll see how long it goes, right? But... Um, But in Acts 10, it says, and God who anointed this man, Jesus of Nazareth, the human being. Now, why does Jesus, or why does Peter say that Jesus, or what does Peter say that Jesus was anointed with here? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. So, what what did this God man Jesus do with this Holy Spirit anointing and power then? Well, it says he went around doing good and healing people. And how is he able to do this? How is he able to access this divine power? Is it because he's God that he used his divine privileges? No, he already made it crystal clear. He didn't do that. He laid his divine privileges out. So how then does he do all of this? It says right there, he did it all because God was with him in the person of the Holy Spirit. So everything Jesus does under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Everything he does in that place, and not just raising the dead or or crazy miracles of healing the sick, but doing good, as it says right here. All that he does to do good and love others with a, a supernatural love, with supernatural patience, with kindness and gentleness, and everything he does, he does under the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus does it. In fact, Jesus, or John states it beautifully in John chapter 3, verse 34. He says this He says, For Jesus is sent by God. Jesus speaks God's words. How? How does Jesus do it? For God gives him the Spirit without limit. That's how Jesus did it. The Father gave him the Holy Spirit, and that's how Jesus lived the life he lived. By the Spirit without limit. That's how Jesus does all he does. God came to earth and became fully human. Everything Jesus did that we read about in the Gospels, he did fully dependent upon the Father through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And again, not just the big miracles, the raising the dead and the rest, but everything he did. In fact, what did Jesus spend most of his time doing when he was here? It wasn't teaching or miracles. It was hanging out with people. He spent endless time with meals and walking from village to village. And how many times did he go round trip between Galilee and Jerusalem, which is 150 miles walking? He walked everywhere, thousands and thousands of miles. Most of his life was spent walking and hanging out with people. And what is he doing in all that time? Getting to know people. Asking them their name. Asking them questions. And and why does Jesus have to ask them their name or ask them questions? If he's God, why would he need to ask that? Because he doesn't know the answer. Why? Because he's fully human. He had laid down his divine privileges. One of the most amazingly human things Jesus does is to walk up to someone and say, Hello, what's your name? Right? Because he didn't know. Unless the Holy Spirit had revealed that to him, he doesn't know his name. Because he was fully human. In everything Jesus does, he's completely dependent upon the Father. He's fully empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good as access, says. And loving the outcast with a supernatural love. And extending the heart of the Father to those who've been rejected. Even loving the religious leaders who were so hard to love. He does it all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's just a beautiful thing. In fact, Scripture tells, the book of Luke emphasizes this again and again and again. First, Luke tells us in the Christmas story that Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit, right, who, who put an embryo in, in Mary's womb. And then uh, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, it tells the story. It says, the heavens were opened at Jesus' baptism, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, in who, in you I am well pleased. So the Spirit comes visibly and rests upon him. And then Luke tells us immediately after his baptism in the next verse, in verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Notice how Jesus is making decisions and being moving. It's all by dependency upon God through the Holy Spirit. So not just once, but twice there, he says, Luke tells us that he's being led by the Spirit. A couple verses later in Luke 4, chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned by the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Again, the Spirit is moving him. Notice the repetition over and over and over again. Jesus' movements and teachings, everything is empowered by the Spirit. And then then his first recorded interaction is in the next chapter. And it's, uh, it's Jesus goes to Nazareth in his hometown, and he speaks at a synagogue, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. This is kind of his coming out party. And he says this, He opens up to Isaiah chapter 61 in Luke 4:18 and says, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed." So what does Jesus say? I have been anointed by the Holy Spirit." Yes, to give sight to the blind. But first, the Spirit empowers me to reclaim the good news, to bring justice and to bring freedom. And all of this leads to one of my favorite passages in the Gospels. One that always just brings me such joy for a reason. Luke, Luke 10, 21. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said i praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children yes father for this is what you were pleased to do jesus is just having a blast talking to his father and luke records that his joy is through the holy spirit his joy is empowered by the holy spirit how cool is that i love that picture So often we have this idea that the Spirit anointing us is for the big things, maybe for a healing or or, or some crazy miracle that's needed, of finances or something else. But here we see in, in the book of Luke, of all these passages, Luke is emphasizing the Spirit empowered Jesus to make decisions of where to go and when to go. It empowered him to care for the poor and care for the broken, to overcome temptation, and now the Spirit empowers him to be filled with joy. Anyone here needs some spirit-empowered joy in their life? Again, that song, joy, unspeakable joy. And finally, in Luke's second gospel, otherwise known as the gospel of Acts, um, Luke says that as he opens up the books of Acts, he says in chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to get there again, a couple weeks we're going to hit on this passage as we start the book of Acts, but he says this. This is how Acts opens. It says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now here we see a summary statement of Jesus' life written by Luke. And it says that all of the teaching and instruction and all that he did, how was it done? Through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was completely dependent upon the Father. And lived a fully human life that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And why is this so important? Why am I spending 20 minutes on the week before Christmas talking about this? Because to me, there are a few other more important things in Scripture to celebrate in the life of Christ that when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, he didn't just board and say, look at me, look at how awesome I am, and one day you can die and go to be in heaven. But Jesus came to tell us to follow his example, to do what he did that we're not just supposed to worship him as savior, but he gave a life to model after. That We are to pattern our lives after his life, to do what he did, to be his disciples, to be his apprentices. We are to live and love like Jesus. Amen? And to me, that's central to the celebration of Christmas. As Christ came to show us what he created us for. In fact, the Apostle John repeats this in black and white in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. John says, whoever claims to live in Christ must live as Jesus lived. Jesus lived by the Spirit, and so we must too. And again, yet so often as Christians, we, we'd rather just spend time worshiping him, because that's a lot easier. Keep him out the blimp like God out there. We worship him. We say, thank you for all that you've done. We don't actually want to follow him in some ways, become like him, because that involves change in our life. We just want the salvation that he offers, but for some strange reason, many Christians today see becoming like Jesus as an optional part of the package. I love it. Dallas Willard, he's got a great line on this. He says, I call these kinds of Christians vampire Christians, Dallas Willard says. He says, what an effect says to Jesus, you know, I'd like a little bit of your blood. I feel you have to say that like in a, in a Dracula accent or something. But, uh, but please, he says, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? Ain't anyone ever guilty of that? I love that visual of vampire Christians. Not really a Christmas pic- picture, but... Um, You know, I just want a little bit of your blood. That's all I need. Give me a little bit of blood, and I'm good, and I'll, I'll see you the other side. But see, that's not why Jesus came to give a little bit of his blood. In his final teaching before dying, Jesus tells them he's going to leave them, and they're freaking out because they can't imagine a world without him after he's made such a difference in their life. And he says this in John 16:7. Jesus says, "I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage." Meaning it is better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I mean, can you imagine that? Jesus has been with them for three years. And he says he's going to die and go back to the Father. And he says, this is good news. What? Jesus, this is good news? This is horrific news. That's why Peter rebukes him and all sorts of other stuff. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It's good because it's better for you that I go. Because I'm going to send this thing called the Holy Spirit think for a second anyone believed him not a chance what could possibly be better than jesus physically standing right next to you the man who can raise the dead and walk on water and he says it's better that i leave and jesus says because my holy spirit will be with you and he says that is far far better than me standing next to you so what about us do we believe jesus or do we call him a liar You ever heard someone say, you know, imagine if Jesus walked into this room right now. Amazing. How amazing that would be if Jesus was here right now with us. Imagine what that would be like. All the things that would change. Well, what would Jesus say? You know what's better than me physically being in that room with you? You having my Holy Spirit with you. Because the Holy Spirit makes all of Jesus available to us. Just like he did for Jesus with the Father. Yet the vast majority of Christians, they seem to miss out on this reality. I think most Christians aren't really Trinitarians. They're more Binitarians or Binitarians, right? We believe in the Father and the Son, but the Holy Spirit is just this kind of this weird idea that we don't really understand. But when Jesus was saying that having the Holy Spirit with him or with us is better than him being with us physically, do we actually believe that? Or do we think Jesus was just lying or hyperbole or exaggeration of some kind? Do we live like this is real? That Jesus offered us a gift greater than him standing next to us? Is Jesus telling the truth? If so, do we take him seriously? Do we recognize and live like having the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus standing next to us? i don't think most of us do and i find most of the time in my life i don't do it either so often we see the holy spirit like described before like the force in star wars of this kind of strange idea that a few people know how to wield maybe if their chlorian count is high enough they know what to do with it but most people just think those people are kind of weird to try and kind of keep out of their way often the holy spirit makes people uncomfortable and, and that's so sad because look at what we've seen in the life of jesus the Holy Spirit is not some weird force. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, gave him life. The Spirit makes the Father fully available to him. It brings him, increases joy. The Spirit enables him to follow the Father, to pray, to love unconditionally, to chill with sinners, to demolish Satan's attacks, to sacrificially love the unlovable, to overcome temptation. These are what the Holy Spirit are doing in the life of Jesus. And Jesus tells him, if you want to live and love like me, you need to be tapping into the same source that I am tapping into. Same body, same spirit, he's saying, go and do what I have done. In fact, Jesus says that in chapter John, chapter 20, 22. It's so important. Right after Jesus, uh, after, if he resurrects, he goes and finds the disciples and look at one of the first things he says to them in John 20, 22. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am now sending you in the same way to do the same things. And with that, he breathed on them. And what does he give them at that moment? reason them the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that is what has empowered him to do it all. He says, now I'm sending you to do the same things I have done with the same spirit I've been doing it with. You need to be doing what I've been doing. And so we are called to live and love like Jesus. He's given us a spirit to do it. As the Father has sent him, so now the Spirit sends us. Jesus did not come to the earth only so he could die for our sins. But instead, or not instead, but also he came to show us the way of life. If it was only for his death, the Gospels would only need one chapter, just his death and his resurrection. But what is the Gospels filled with? Almost all of it is the story of his life. As he demonstrates to us the way to live, not just to die. The way of the kingdom. We are called to become like Jesus, not just sing songs about how amazing he is, that we got to keep doing that too. I love one of my favorite professors, uh, Dr. Gerald Hawthorne. He wrote this in his book, The Power and the Presence. He says, The Spirit was the presence and power of God in Jesus, and fully so. Thus, the life of Jesus was the realization on earth, perhaps for the first time, of God's ideal for human beings, the fulfillment of the divine intention for them when God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. Right? So Jesus is the first human to truly live that out to its fullness of what God intended when He created humanity. But then it goes on. Here it is. But Jesus' life was not the only the realization of that ideal, it is the pattern to follow. The source of hope for every succeeding generation of Jesus fall. We must worship, we must worship Jesus. But much more than that, we must become his disciples, his followers. We must follow his pattern of living. The pattern he's given us as humanity, that he exemplified, for us to align our lives more like his by the power of the Spirit, to become his apprentices. We can't settle for saying we're only human. Why? Because so was Jesus. And that's the whole point the Spirit-empowered life, or the Spirit-filled life, as Paul would describe it, is not just for when we're praying for healing or trusting for miracles, but it's the way of life we are called to. Just like Jesus was dependent upon the Father through the Holy Spirit, so we now are dependent upon Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And yes, to pray for healing and pray for the sick, but just as much of how to love our husbands or wives, or how to love our kids, whether they're doing well or whether, whether they're wayward. We're dependent on Him for Raising our, our, our families to experience more of His joy, to depend upon the Spirit to help craft social media posts that are loving and not stupid and divisive. Depend upon the Holy Spirit to be able to code better and, and, and make new websites, to be able to be better plumbers or electricians or librarians or pastors, to, to depend upon Him to for, for helping with trusting with our finances or, or with walking the journey of cancer or sickness or pain or solitude or any of those things, depending upon Him and all those things. This must increasingly become our normal way of being. Just like Jesus, we need to grow more and more dependent upon the Spirit working in our life. So, where is that challenging you this morning? As we move towards Christmas and celebrating His birth, we have to celebrate greater than just the one act. But, Lord, what are you calling of me? What does it mean for me? to live in love more like you in this season. In what ways are we content with worshiping Jesus for how good he is but not wanting to follow his example? Worshiping him for his grace and forgiving us of our sins while maintaining a lack of grace for people around us. We're saying, but it's too hard. Yes, it is on our own. But praise God, we have the Holy Spirit with us. To empower us to forgive where it seems impossible to forgive. To empower us to love and be patient where it seems that patience is impossible. With a spouse maybe we feel we can't connect with. He says it's impossible. There is hope, but the hope is in Christ and his power, not our own. Where are we trying to do things by our own and just bootstrapping aspects of life, dealing with addictions or pain or loneliness other stuff, and Jesus just standing there saying, let me help. I sent you my spirit for this purpose. Stop trying to do it on your own. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. <clears throat> they were struggling with a wayward child. They were struggling with finances and the stress from those things. And he says, let me help. One of my favorite quotes of Dallas Willard, I'm not saying a lot because I have a lot of them, but is, he says, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I love that. I want to live my life. I want to learn from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. Growing greater levels of dependence upon him. So this year, to me, the best way to celebrate Christmas is to increasingly live and love more like him. To be generous to the poor and hurting. To supernaturally love our families and especially the ones who are hard to love, which is why Christmas is one of the most beautiful times to be reminded of this because many of us are about ready heading into this week and next week to put in some very tense and awkward situations that we just try to avoid and we're just looking at survival because we're doing it on our own. What if instead of how to survive Christmas and the in laws and everyone else, Jesus, I want you to show me how to love my family. friends, my extended family, with your love. Holy Spirit, I need you so desperately. Show me how to be your hands and your feet at this table, at this meeting, at this party, whatever it may be, Lord. May I not just try to avoid, unless there's you know, some abuse issues that we, you have to for your own safety with boundaries. May I not just try to avoid, but may I seek to be your person of peace. May I seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus at this table or at this place in this time. Holy Spirit, empower me by your presence to live in love like you. May I be Jesus with skin on as we enter into this season. May we be generous. May we be loving. Spirit-powered generosity and being sacrificial. May we ask the Lord to deal with stinginess in our hearts towards one another in this time. May we be bold in loving others by the power of the Spirit. Amen. I want to experience the life that he came to give here and now because he didn't just save us so we would die and go to heaven. He saved us so we would experience life. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come that we may have life. And we've celebrated that already today with a couple of people who are choosing life again and choosing to celebrate that with us, Lord. For that we praise you, God. And Lord, for all of us, though, my prayer, Lord, I ask right now, Lord, may you incline our hearts to you to say, oh, Jesus, I want to live more and more like you. I want my life increasingly to conform to yours. I want my loves increasingly to become increasingly like yours, Lord. Whatever sin that's entangling God, I want to hand that over to you and walk in your ways of life and love, and righteousness, Lord Jesus. So therefore, Holy Spirit, we pray, empower us to live in love more like you. Whatever independence within us of doing it on our own, increasingly turn us towards you, Lord Jesus. To say, I need you. So right now, Holy Spirit, move in the hearts of our body. You incline our hearts, our minds towards you. It would be leaning into you for strength, for wisdom, for grace, for love, to not do it on our own, but to depend it upon you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.